Now, let's move on. Once you've demonstrated your value, you are going to want to ask her out. Once you've asked her out, you move on to E. Engage physically. I personally try to engage the girl physically without ever going on the date, which to me is really just a waste of time and money. I'll tell her I know this great little restaurant doesn't take reservations. That makes it sound cool, makes it sound exclusive. And then when we get to the restaurant, the restaurant is closed, as, of course, it always is on Sundays. So I'll feign surprise and say something along the lines of, well, I guess we could grab a pizza and watch a movie at my place. And once we're on my bed, it is game over. I engage her physically, and the sexual waltz begins. Pizza's good. You're the one that's good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of Nick's Nonfiction here with your host, Nick Muniz. Celebrating the month of love today, from the male perspective, we have got Robert Greene's The Art of Seduction. Nothing like a commercial holiday to schedule love to one day of the year. Celebrating love every day makes my dick as hot as a rock. Robert Greene occupies the part of the Venn diagram where seduction overlaps power. This guy also wrote the 48 Laws of Power. He's not the first guy to try to figure this out. Napoleon Bonaparte, he considered seduction to be putting your iron fist inside a velvet glove. He's a short guy. He couldn't get any attention. He said, maybe if I take over the world, go with the power route, the girls are going to have to notice me. Seduction in itself is the ability to give people what they deeply desire. Everybody wants to rule the world. Put your velvet glove on that bitch. We are starved for true pleasure, and our brain knows the difference between artificial dopamine, getting a right swipe, and a real hit of oxytocin when you feel like making love. I guess I'm singing this whole edition. In most cases, flattery is enough to coax someone out of their normal rut of stress. But we're going for high-level game today. It's going to require you to first perfect your character. And Robert lays out nine archetypes of pull. You got the dandy. Are you a natural? Are you a charmer? And for the ladies, our first one today is going to be the irrefusable siren. How did one bulb of garlic seduce the other? She took off her clothes. He gives tips for trans hookups, even gay seduction. I thought that strategy was just called grinder. Kind of the same for women. You have a foolproof strategy. It's called boobs. <laughs> I turn into the world's biggest rube when I'm exposed to a great set of tatas. Call me a boob rube. Don't underestimate your power, ladies. You got a lot more say on the battlefield of love, Pat Benatar, <laughs> than you think. Beyond simple sexual seduction, Robert goes into social seduction. You could use all this stuff in the workplace and... If there's nothing more important than choosing your life partner, it's choosing your work wife. You spend more time with this chick. <laughs> and Robert's got to break down seduction in advertising. They're hijacking our frontal lobes. Every time I see a Carl's Jr. commercial, I want to fuck a hamburger. What's going on with this stuff? Don't be looking at Robert to fix your failing marriage. This guy is here to find your next wife. He says seduction is getting someone out of your league, so if you're not failing, you're not seducing. Everybody has one of these seductive ethos within us, so today you're going to dial in your inner fuckboy and learn how to enhance your best quality. How do you seduce a fat woman? Piece of cake. Seduction isn't about beauty. You get further by understanding human psychology, whole lot of that today. You start the show a simp and you're leaving and 
actualized playboy. <laughs> what did the clitoris say to the vulva? It's all good in the hood. Please stand by for a word from our sponsors. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, about the author Robert Greene. First things first, make sure you're checking out the Patreon, patreon.com slash the niche. The books are insane. Next month, we have another conspiratorial dish going up. Classified Q-level clearance. That phrase has been ruined. <laughs> um, and then uh, we're having next month for Women's Month an entire edition more so about love than seduction. So hold on to your hoods. Robert Green grew up in Los Angeles, attended University of California, Berkeley, 62 now, so maybe he's got one more bestseller in him. This guy's written six international bestsellers. There was 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, 33 Strategies of War, The 50th Law, featuring rapper 50 Cent, Mastery, and The Laws of Human Nature. Is Robert Greene the first guy to get a rapper to feature on one of his books? <laughs> I read 48 Laws of Power a while ago. Gonna have to rehash it if we do an episode. It's 40, it's over 600 pages. Like, I gotta boil it down. Even this book, we're doing the top 12 strategies in 2015 robert did a presentation on ted the key to transforming yourself okay he's uh you know in the circuit of academics ted talks but does he listen um you should never watch a ted talk on aids because some ideas aren't worth spreading jokes when he's not grooming young sociopathic leaders this guy is grooming young lover boys is what robert green is up to we're going to get his secret tricks right after one more advertisement. Robert Greene's The Art of Seduction, Chapter 1, Feminine Seduction. We're going to do three of these characters per chapter to start out the book. The siren is the woman that you think of when you hear the word seduction. Seductress, isn't that a word? Robert says, quote, A man is often secretly oppressed by the role he has to play, by always having to be responsible, in control, and rational. The siren is the ultimate male fantasy figure because she offers a total release from the limitations of his life. In her presence, which is always heightened and sexually charged, the male feels transported to a world of pure pleasure. Men are universally lazy. As that quote started, we all just want to chill out, have someone really drive the boat, show me some boob, and I am instantaneously transported to that world of pure imagination he's talking about. Our society is a bit more puritanical than you might think, <laughs> and if anybody's showing the tiniest bit of skin, it gets you to think, okay, that's one less article of clothing I have to take off. I get crazy when I see a good ankle. Robert says, in a world where women are often too timid to project such an image, learn to take control of the male libido by embodying his fantasy. Most girls are like too scared to wear a low-cut shirt because their friend will call them a slut. Timid isn't exactly what's peaking the male libido. You're going to have to put up with one thing or another. Do you want... Like, girls, when they get a long-term boyfriend, they ditch all their friends anyway. So, what are we after here in the long run? The ultimate siren of history, his example, was Cleopatra. This was 58 BC. Quote, Cleopatra was in the prime of life. She had a delightful voice which could not fail to cast spell over anyone who heard it. Such was the charm of her person and her speech that they drew the coldest and most determined misogynists into her toils. Cleopatra was apparently so hot she could have brought any guy to their knees at the time. 
she was with someone called Plebotomy, Plebotomy the 14th, and he was running Egypt with her. Caesar at the time was running Rome, who was in control of Egypt. So he was like walking around there. Oh, I'm the manager of your little boyfriend here. You still think you're going to be with him forever? One night she told Caesar that they would be able to revive the glory of Alexander the Great by making love like gods. See, she has that uh, dirty talk, <laughs> and it was more classy back then. The weeks went by. Caesar got rid of all of Cleopatra's rivals. He starts killing off all of Plebotomy's friends. And then from 48 to 44 BC, Caesar spent a ton of time going back and forth from Egypt to Rome. And they said the trade routes were less po policed by the Roman guards. It's, um, he got distracted by the love. The siren was calling him into the rocks. In this period, Cleopatra was also able to coax Mark Anthony out of the Roman army. He was their best uh, soldier or whatever, and she made him go into the temple of Dionysus. This is like the goddess of seductress. Trust me, we'll talk about the club later on. I'm giving some history to the people who actually come here for substance. <laughs> Hang in there. Dionysus was like the god of wine and lust. And so the rumor had it, if you go into the temple of Dionysus, your immortal soul belongs to the underworld. So Mark Anthony, he loved booze and boobs. He did anything Cleopatra would say, and he wandered into the temple, never fought for the Romans again, and just wandered the earth. <laughs> Mark Anthony and Caesar both fell to whatever Cleopatra in terms of history that we know Marilyn Monroe you got like Norma Jean Mortensen these people portray the siren to a T happy birthday Mr. President there's something about the siren and the voice <laughs> you ever date like a chick that sings in the shower I dated one girl who put up lights in her shower we were doing fucking operas and wet <laughs> plead the fifth even the guy uh napoleon his girl josephine was the greatest seductress of the 18th century because she sang operettas there's a good interpretation by robert green here he said other women knew just as many tricks for heightening their sexual appeal but what separated marilyn from them was an unconscious element her background had deprived her of something critical affection her deepest need was to feel desired as we started, seduction is all about giving people what they can't give themselves. A lot of women just want to be desired. <laughs> so, like, simping really is a good way to get it, and we'll get into that character later. You know every girl who's trying to start their OnlyFans, their wettest dream is to have some incel buying their bathwater, the height of desire. The main, you know, I want you to want me. That is this entire siren she, there's a song about it. I want you to want me. I need you to pee on me. I'd live for you to lick me. Oh, I'm begging you to peg me. <laughs> I gotta start writing some weird album. Yankovic. Every archetype has its dangers. Like for the siren, the reputation of looseness follows them everywhere. Cleopatra was known in Rome as the Egyptian whore. <laughs> and a lot of dudes aren't into simping, so it's just not going to work there. We're going to move on to our next character and weave all these in together. This guy is called the Dandy. And remember, we're in the theme of feminist characters. This is the most fruity male seduction you could try. 
think Mick Jagger, David Bowie. This is romantic allure through bedazzlement, bravado, razzle-dazzle. <laughs> it's uh, got to be the biggest seduction style in the gay scene, I would imagine. Like, <laughs> you <clears throat> shouldn't admit this. I took a girl to a gay club recently, Trax, North Denver. No other men are trying to seduce your women. We danced to fucking David Guetta, did drugs without worrying about getting robbed in the bathroom. <laughs> Trax is fucking sick. And did you hear Beta just got busted for having, like, ties to the mafia? <laughs> and what would you rather be at? You know, some sketchy club or fucking dancing your heart out to Don Diablo? Robert says, dandies excite us because they cannot be categorized and hint at a freedom we want for ourselves. They play with masculinity and femininity. <laughs> Rudolph Valentino was Robert's historic example. This guy from Italy that liked to dance. He came to America in 1919, triple threat star, golden age of show business. He was shot to the top, dainty little man dressed as a girl twirled around on stage. You know, he still drove the woman crazy. This is anomalous to me, even though I have been that guy. It is a thin, tightrope to walk. And it actually does make sense. Not that much of an anomaly. Every girl's a little bit lesbian. Moving on. It's a really thin tightrope. Like, if you have one too many pieces of flair, you're a flame. How did Prince know how much purple was just enough? How did Justin Timberlake know when to quit the boy band game? This is like a challenging character to use. I think women are attracted to ambiguity because it makes them relate to you. You know what I'm saying? Like if you tell a girl you have a sister, they automatically perk up. Oh, you know how to talk to a female. It's good to see someone has a knowledge of the opposite sex. And it's good to hear you don't actually have to listen to a chick yammer on forever. You just throw a couple bracelets on and you can get laid. <laughs> I was borderline dandy I'm telling you for a couple years back in high school I won best dressed and some of those crap things I literally just wore form-fitting clothes and wasn't obese <laughs> like I'm not following trends I never bought supreme all of my clothes cost under $12 I'm the king of clearance the supreme kids hated me literally just don't be fat and wear clothes that fit <laughs> You know the kid in high school who wore, like, business blazer jackets and the hype beast lime green bullshit? Tryhards, just be yourself. <laughs> Clothes don't really make the man, just be yourself. Fashion forward, streetwear, all of that shit is stealing your money. If you're going to go dandy, you can't be afraid to take a risk, and it's about going the other way when everyone's going one way. Danger of the dandy is everyone assumes you like butt stuff. So you gotta own it, and like we read the uh, Motley Crue book, you could steal the slut energy. <laughs> Girls figured it out, bro. Tight clothes, everybody's wet. <laughs> Next up we have, last for the chapter, The Charmer. Still a fairly feminine quality here. Quote, charm is seduction without sex. Lame. Charmers are consummate manipulators, masking their cleverness by creating a mood of pleasure and comfort. Their method is simple. They deflect attention from themselves and focus it on their target. This guy is saying targeting. <laughs> That's the language I like to hear. He continues the quote a little bit. Charmers do not argue or fight, complain or pester. What could be more seductive? Just uh, bouncing that positive energy back. Charm. 
women have the insane theory that they think if a man fights with you, it means he cares about you. And then you got the girl that's like, well, my husband beats me, so that must mean he really loves me. Chick logic. This charmer is so big of an archetype, it has become a meme. You know, you got the trad girl. It's an unexpected charmer. They don't put up arguments. And uh, you got the doomer chick opposes that one who will, like, glom onto you the guy smoking the cigarette. I know these are both fictional wojacks. I'm just trying to make it topical. <laughs> and my brain is just memes. The doomer girl is the siren. And then the trad girl is the charmer. Both of them are not real. Tell me this isn't a trad chick. Listen to this quote. Sexuality is extremely disruptive. The insecurities and emotions it stirs up can often cut short a relationship that would otherwise be deeper and longer lasting. The charmer solution is to fulfill the aspects of sexuality that are so alluring and addictive while subtracting the sex itself. Yikes. <laughs> You're just taking sex out of the equation. Charming is the ultimate tease. See why I'm saying it's pretty feminine? And it works both ways. Robert says uh, Lo Ovid, the love poet, was the best at this. He would send letters to his flings from all over the globe, and then he would never meet up with any of them. <laughs> he was like warming the ladies up with no intent of ever going over. Charmer is obviously non-sexual seduction. It's like winning over anybody by creating a mood of pleasure is possible. It's just comfort. Historically, Prince Albert did this on Queen Victoria. Guy was past his prime and he wanted to send her flowers, but there were so many other suitors who could afford the best flowers from China. He sent her primrose. And, you know, this is a really cheap flower. He wrote a note that said, Of all the flowers, this one retains its beauty the longest. Oh, love story. They both did things each other like. That's how most relationships begin. You gotta charm anybody to start a relationship. The dangers of the charmer, cynics and confident people who don't need validation, they're immune to charm. You know, a lot of people can see through the bullshit making a charmer a good starter character. It's not gonna work when you're dealing with Patrick Bateman on Wall Street. <laughs> Let's go to chapter two, masculine seduction. The star we start with, Robert says, Daily life is harsh, and most of us constantly seek escape from it in fantasies and dreams. Stars feed on the weakness, standing out from others through a distinctive and appealing style. They make us want to watch them. Love is all about escapism. The stars perfect this ability to take someone out of their boring day. One day, 1922, Berlin, Germany, a casting call went out for this voluptuous young woman. It was for uh, the tragedy of love. Of the hundreds of all the young actresses that went out, this chick, Marlene Dietrich, got the job. Von Sternberg was the director. You know, he did Tragedy of Love, The Blue Angel, Germany's Golden Age of Movies. Dietrich rose the ranks in the films in Germany, and she was, like, putting all these superstar roles. Von Sternberg did all this new, like, magic lighting tricks. He would draw a silver line down the center of her nose to make her seem thinner on camera. These influencers are going to have to find this timestamp. And he would was the first to find out the backlighting is bullshit. She quickly blows up to become the biggest star in interwar Germany. 
You got 30s Reichstag Hitler. This guy, he could have had any girl he wanted. And what Ava Braun was a camera girl. He chose the girl behind the camera. He could have fucking taken uh, Dietrich into his bunker. (laughs) And that movie, The Blue Angel, was like this instant classic because she exposed her underwear in it. She turned over on a stool. First time these 1930s men in their top hats. Awooga! Everybody freaked out. So they brought her over to America. Paramount Studios signs Dietrich. And she gets blown up. You know, stars fucking enthrall people. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the only reason Americans know what Austria is. And most Americans still can't point it out on a map. I think the Corona sweatshops are going to make that a little bit easier. Hollywood used uh, Dietrich from the 20s through the 50s to start some fashion trends. They made her a sexy sailor. Subsection of the chapter they called the Mystic Star. And so he went back into JFK. Girls loved him. He was just like your run-of-the-mill sanitation working fucking Irish immigrant. (laughs) And the power of the presidency turned him into a sexual allure. And that's what the star is all about. It's escapism. It's not realistic. Everybody knows the story of the first, like, televised public debate. You remember Nixon refused to use makeup, so Kennedy went on looking like a doll, wins all the votes. The coach for the debate, cool detail in the book, told Kennedy to exhume a James Dean cowboy aura of cool detachment. (laughs) Decent coaching. What did they tell (laughs) Joe Biden to do before this debate? I think they just fucking shot him up with Adderall. You'll see why I wanted to drop this quote in. It's thematic in terms of the show's opinion on motivating people with fear or a better future. Listen to this. If Nixon talked to data and niggling points of debate, Kennedy spoke of freedom, of building a new society, of recapturing America's pioneer spirit. How much more of the black vote would Biden have lost if he dropped the word niggling on stage? That was better of a Biden joke. (laughs) The stars are a creation of modern cinema the danger is that people just tire of them and the illusion is no longer fascinating so you turn to other people the real skill of the star is to maintain the spotlight moving along another masculine seduction style the charismatic quote here from uh, Robert Greene charisma (laughs) I can't talk charisma is a presence that excites us it comes from an inner quality self-confidence sexual energy sense of purpose contentment that most people lack and want this quality radiates outward permeating the gesture of charismatics making them seem extraordinary and making us imagine there is more to them than meets the eye some people play this card well when they open their mouth out comes the personality of a wet towel like you can't teach sexual energy you can expose yourself like he said the whatever meets the eye will be gone charisma is seduction on a mass level like you could charm people one-on-one charisma is what you could do to work over a room people naturally like to be led as we learned before and charisma is the ability to do so without acting like you care it's (laughs) when you have the boss that you know is just itching to put in some new mandate it kind of pisses you off robert had a great take as moses being the most charismatic man in the bible you know jesus he might have been the most popular 
This guy was executed in the end. What, you couldn't talk your way out of that one, Christ? Moses was so chummy, this guy convinced a thousand Jews to follow him into a seabed. <laughs> Robespierre, another notable charmer of history. That guy worked Napoleon like a puppet. Lenin won people over with his Siberian eyebrows. And <laughs> have you ever looked at that picture of Stalin? Young Stalin, boner warning. Uh, great insight from Robert. They express a vision. Charismatics may not realize it, but in their presence, we have a kind of religious experience. We believe in these people without having any rational evidence for doing so. If young Stalin came to America, I would vote for communism. People want to be led to believe like someone special. That person is divine. <laughs> the charismatic knows exactly how much to play into that predisposition for dogma that people have. And we learned, like, Captain Cook recently, these indigenous people believed he was a god, and he took it a little too far, so they cut his heart out in the end. <laughs> it comes down to purpose. Like, that's not going too far. If you convince yourself you have a purpose and a plan, people are just going to instinctively follow you. Not sexy or funny. Rob said Joan of Arc was a charismatic instead of a siren. Uh, this chick, she was on the battlefield of love. <laughs> Sun Tzu would say... You must be on offense as much as defense. You have to charm as much as you're willing to be charmed. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, this guy's the final for the masculine seducers. <laughs> we just learned about uh, niggling quotes from Nixon. Now it's time for the anti-seducer, which I like to refer to more simply, the negger. We know about negging from Neil Strauss. Robert portrays this character in a bit of a darker light. He says, anti-seducers have no self-awareness and never realize when they are pestering, imposing, or talking too much. They lack the subtlety to create the premise of pleasure that seduction requires. Root out anti-seductive qualities in yourself and recognize them in others. There is no pleasure or profit in dealing with the anti-seducer. This is the first one I'm going to disagree with him on. To be a real negger, you have to be aware of the game that you're running. Like, the anti-seducer is some weird character that's socially retarded, he's making it sound like, but this guy still gets laid. And everybody has this friend, How like, how does this guy get ass? My theory of the anti-seducer getting laid, there's a type of girl out there who just fucks guys who are dumber than them. And it's setting a pretty low bar, you have to be dumber than a chick, just kidding, or am I, nigger. Let's be real here today, people. <laughs> like, think about sex and think about the stereotypes we attribute it to it. It's completely opposite. Every girl is the comical personification that we attribute to men. Men are so dumb. All they think about is sex. If you look at every girl's TikTok algorithm, it screams dumb and horny. Have you ever been into a fucking woman's bathroom? All men are pigs. Men are disgusting. It fucking smells like a 10 pounds of shit in a hooker's lunchbox, bro. These bitches are nasty. <laughs> I still love tits. Robert says the anti-seducer is unable to hide his insecurities, which make people feel safe. Female, the version of this seducer for a chick is like the ditzy girl. He's saying this person doesn't know anything. Everybody knows the girl. Wait, what? This is the girl who's not trying to train you. 
And this is, you know, men don't respect us. You literally use the language of dogs when talking about men. Well, I've been training this one boy. Men don't, re you don't respect us. The opposite of the charismatic in woman form is the boss ass bitch. <laughs> and like most men are going to be into this, uh, the ditzy chick. And I guess that's the transitive property. Women are into the anti-seducer or some dude that's unaware, apparently. Quote here, Robert taking it a step further. Anti-seducers are insecure to such a degree that they cannot be drawn into the seductive process. Dude, this is a superpower. These men are immune to horny. Like, maybe this is some enlightened class where sex doesn't even register in their mind. Is the type of guy a stripper is going to put in the hardest set of her life for. <laughs> like, then you got the uh, charismatic at the strip club. Hey, honey, why don't you come sit on my lap and we talk about the first thing that comes up? Oh! Uh, different seduction styles work better in different situations. And if you think about strippers... Most of them have the confidence they should, the boss-ass bitch, because money is being thrown at them every single night. <laughs> like, I wanted to meet the first guy who bedded a stripper by negging her. This dance sucks. <laughs> I get full contact across town. You know, a little too much on the glitter. You trying to have my girlfriend catch me? It's going to be the first book I write, How to Neg a Stripper. Here's a reason to smile as we wrap up here. We're living in the golden age of prostitution men so if you really are an anti-negger and you can't get laid only fans or whatever that shit like you could just message girls <laughs> everybody has a price great historic reference to end the chapter claudia was the stepson of augustus claudia is a man to simplify things we just learned about all this in seneca's book the Roman Emperor Augustus cleaned house. He killed Cicero, his philosopher. He killed everybody that was a threat. So there was this kid, Claudia, who was in line for the throne, but he was so stupid that nobody thought he was a threat enough to kill. So he spent his whole life gambling and whoring. The time came around and he was able to secure some like high-ass position that he <laughs> killed people with. Didn't work out well for the commoners. But it worked out for him because he played dumb. Danger of the anti-seducer lies in victim theory. Like, once a girl sees that you're incompetent, you get water splashed on you by a car driving by, or if everybody, like, dumps on you in a social circle, you immediately lose all sexual allure. You don't want to be the anti-seducer. You gotta be a negger. Moving on to the end of our characters, chapter 3, Rake, coquette, and natural. The rake, Robert says, is a man who never quite feels desired and appreciated enough. She wants attention, but a man is too often distracted and unresponsive. Rakes will go like to the end of the earth to give this attention to the woman because they don't care about themselves. He's saying we don't feel appreciated, so we have to go. I listened to an interview with Robert Greene. This is what he says he feels like. Off the bat to me, kind of sounds like a simp. I'll go to the ends of the earth. King Louis XIV. This guy was dying and he had a 14-year-old son who was a duke about to take his position. Louis uses all the king's spoils to woo a lady that's in line. And she wanted to hook up with the duke. Uh, not a deep story here. Like if you spend the riches of a king, you can woo a girl. 
great raking right there. This goes back to antiquity. Fucking come back to the cave with some meat, and you're going to pull more cave pussy. Scumbag game that I played with my boys. <laughs> you have to go out to a bar and pick up a girl without buying her a drink. That is the true art of game. Money and, it, like, resources are the performance enhancer. Can you just charm the pants off a chick in one night? I got a Don Juan poem here. And it sounds rather rake-like. Don Juan, another one of these love poets. We learned about him in Camus. Don Juan, if the sea gives me death, you give me life. But the sea really saved me only to be killed by you. Oh, the sea tosses me from one torment to other, for I no sooner pull myself from the water than I met this siren, yourself. Camus has the uh, absurdist philosophy. So the day that your mom dies, you go swimming and have sex. Are you a bad person or are you just experiencing both extremes of life? And then that led to his developing philosophy of Don Juanism. It's, um... Love isn't about fucking dropping the hammer on your chick, <laughs> as fun as that is. You gotta, like, it's to feel how she's feeling. It's about getting lost in each other. Gay, that quote, like, uh, life is an unbearable storm on the ocean. Don Juan is a lust is our one escape. Raking, pretty good way to pull in the bitches. It's just a ton of work. <laughs> I'll put a Don Juan poem together for you. Dating is like the season fall. You got a bag, then quickly leaf. Don John is my favorite movie on earth. I'm a Jersey kid. It's about a Jersey boy going to the club every weekend pulling fine bitches until he can't get it up anymore because of his addiction to porn. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's from 2013. He tries to get with Scarlett Johansson but it turns out she's just trying to use him and then there's this older chick who's like it's not weird that you're into sex you're just doing it really unhealthily it's such a good fucking movie <laughs> I'm going to beta tracks levels milk bar the church out here meeting some fucking sketchy girls in nightclubs whose pussy could kill me when you're looking at porn you're not gonna die of a venereal disease <laughs> Obviously, it's more fun to go out and get laid, have a new experience. But there's something in your brain that's going on when you're hooked on porn because it, it changes everything. Like that simplicity. What, you throw a tissue away? You don't have to drive anybody home. <laughs> it subconsciously is superior. I'm porn-free for like three months now. And just watch this movie. It's very funny, but the message is fucking huge in it. Yeah, that shit is really bad for us. <laughs> and I think I would have been more depraved in this episode had I had all of that smut on my dick. <laughs> I don't know. None of this will matter if everyone remains addicted. Like, <laughs> sex for young people is kind of gone. I'm happy that I'm not in the X generation. Don John, how did he end that movie? It basically was the philosophy of Don Juanism. The Joseph Gordon-Levitt makes good movies. Love is a two-way street, and it's not like formulaic, like um, porn. Tits, blowjob, cowgirl, doggy style, money shot. <laughs> Got to try to get lost in the lover's philosophy. Putting a seductive spin on this rake-like character here, he said the demonic rake. 
is uh, people wanting to be led. Some women want to be owned. <laughs> so, you know, this might be a result of the porn that women are watching. The most depraved of the chicks are into this dungeon shit. I'm sure there's more that I don't know about. <laughs> you see, it looks like this girl is tied up in a spider web. And then an eight foot arachnid is about to come eat her. I never clicked on those thumbnails. That shit is dark. And Robert's going, yeah, these bitches are into rape fantasies. And I think we'll get into this more next month. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk about feminism and rape. Weird philosophy. Like, I don't want to try to understand this fetish here. But, yep, some people think it's hot to be powerless. Rob says resistance is only the spur to his desire, inflaming him all the more. I'm the opposite of this. <laughs> like, any bit of resistance to me makes this entire event a lost cause. Am I making sense here? If a girl has a floppy hat in her dating profile, that's a left swipe from me. You got your work cut out for you. <laughs> I gotta spend my weekend hat shopping. This girl says she likes to go on adventures. It sounds to me like you need a compass more than a boyfriend. Left swipe. Like, uh, ladies, when a guy forgets to mention that he has a kid, does this inflame your desire? It's another obstacle, so this should make you want to pursue them more. <laughs> I think Robert is kind of fucking dead wrong here. Men want to see skin. They love simplicity. Obvious danger of the rake is that indulgent women are going to take advantage of you. And a lot of people see through this. This guy is just... It's probably why uh, girls friend zone guys, because they know they could get them to do all their errands. Don John, I'm saying you guys got to go watch that movie. It's the most important point of maybe this whole show. <laughs> uh, Scarlett Johansson, I would rake for her, this bitch. Uh, would rake her leaves for a year to eat her toenail clippings. All right, moving on to another character, the Coquette. Coquettes are the grandmasters of delaying satisfaction. By orchestrating a back-and-forth movement between hope and frustration, they bait with the promise of reward, the hope of physical pleasure, happiness, fame, by association and power. We've got another historic story here. In the French Revolution, Napoleon was only 26 years old. He led this girl Josephine on for 33 years. He was making love with all these people... He would visit her throughout their 20s. They would make love. And then before Napoleon went to conquer Italy, he promised Josephine that he was going to marry her. He goes to Italy for five years, meets some hot-blooded lovers, and forgets about her. Spends the next 20 years acting like she doesn't exist. And then he crowns her and knocks her up. You know, at the end of Napoleon's life, he was exiled to die. They say at the end of his life, his final words were... Josephine. He also talked about Truman Capote, another one of his examples, you know. If the theme of the chapter is resources, <laughs> it's easy to delay satisfaction and corral a woman when you have as many resources as a director or a king, Napoleon. Coquettes aren't practical for a half of American males who are in credit card and student loan debt. The previous edition, The Game, was a guide for all kinds of men to get some ass. And Robert Alina is going elitist on us towards the end of the characters. He says, Coquettes face an obvious danger. 
They play with the volatile emotions. Every time the pendulum swings, love shifts to hate, so they must orchestrate everything carefully. The absence cannot be too long. Their bouts of anger must be quickly followed by smiles. You get it? It's like swinging back and forth. We're starting to get pretty manipulative here. It's only got to continue on that trend. Final character is the natural. Childhood is the golden paradise we are always consciously or subconsciously trying to create. The natural embodies the longed-for qualities of childhood, spontaneity, sincerity, unpretentiousness. In the presence of naturals, we feel at ease, caught up in the playful spirit, transported back to the golden age. This is why so many people marry their high school sweetheart. It brings you back to careless times. Robert is sounding a little... Sigmundy, Freudian here. Freud, you know, he relates everything back to when you were two. Freud's at a house party. Did you guys know that everybody wants to fuck their mom? Yo, whose friend is this? <laughs> he bought the coke. He's cool. In all seriousness, Robert Greed is getting it right. Everybody wants to be a kid. Freud just takes it to the next level saying you want to bang out your mom. <laughs> Having a kid like gives you the ability to receive the world through a younger view that's maybe one of the biological drives to have children so if you meet someone who never lost touch with the perspective of childhood you're going to be internally drawn toward them and we're not talking like man child here he says the adult natural is not truly innocent it is impossible to grow up in this world and retain total innocence so it's still all fucking smoke and mirrors. <laughs> the person doesn't get as excited as a five-year-old from, like, a chicken nuggets as they do when they're an adult. The niggling of nuggets. <laughs> We're scraping the barrel here. You get it. The natural is someone who knows how to, like, be a kid. And childhood is the origin of teasing which is flirting. I bet if you're in the old person home, you could, like, pull on Gladys's hair, or maybe not because they all wear wigs. <laughs> Final quote. A childish quality can be charming, but it also can be irritating. The innocents have no experience of the world, and their sweetness can prove cloying. Moving along to part two of the book, chapter four, Choose the Right Victim. Getting some water. <sighs> Picking up the pace here. Starting to put some of these characters to work. Gotta love the language. Outright Robert saying, choose the right victim. <laughs> We're going straight for the meat here. Quote, study your prey thoroughly and choose only those who will prove susceptible to your charms. The right victims are those for whom you can fill a void, who see in you something exotic. It's hard to sell a customer on something they already have. That being said, like, you could still score with a goalie in the net, fellas. You know what I'm saying here? Um, I have a boyfriend. Um, I didn't ask. Victor de Volmont. He was a Paris libertine in the 1770s. He was known to bang the wives of all the aristocrats. So he started undermining the fucking government. The women like a rebel because they're married to a politician and of course they automatically thought they wanted to marry a man of the state over time that changes valmont's reputation eventually spread throughout the countryside and all of his spots were getting blown up it's like jean jacques go back and listen to that episode the point i'm trying to make here is in the end 
John Jacques Rousseau got exiled from France. Valmont got exiled from the countryside. He was crossing too many circles. You can score if there's a goalie in the net, but there might be some jujitsu bro at the bar who's ready to fucking defend his lady's honor. <laughs> you know, so you're probably going to die. I've done some of those, like, online where you cuck some dude, and it's not fun being watched while you're having sex. <laughs> Um, shouldn't have shared that. Valmont's final sarge came when he met Madame de Torville. Robert said, She has traits that make her the perfect victim. She is bored, which draws her toward adventure. She is naive and unable to see through his tricks. Finally, the Achilles heel. She believes herself immune to his seduction. Choosing the right victim. You're going to want someone who thinks they already know, have you figured out. <laughs> like, bored girls, as the quote said as well, are always great victims. Like I said, girls always have in their bio, I'm looking for adventure. How about I <laughs> take you to the woods, tie you up by your toes, and slit your throat? How's that for an adventure? These are the times I wish I had a laugh track. <laughs> Uh, he also shows those aristocratic wives that he wanted to rebel. Robert's, you know, going deep on the history some more. Madame de Torvelle tried to have Valmont killed. Seduction he called a peaceful fight. I found that to be pretty oxymoronic. So just like Miss Pat Benatar, love is a battlefield. <laughs> like, if you actually believe that, women should probably be taking self-defense classes for seduction. <laughs> you always hear girls say... Well, he bought me a drink. What am I supposed to say? No. Correct. You have the abilities, I know. Choosing the right victim is like a key to life. Moving out of seduction here. Robert says, Some will be relatively open to our influence, if only in subtle ways, while others seem impervious to our charm. Perhaps we find this a mystery beyond our control, but that is an ineffective way of dealing with life. He's going on to say, like, you're wasting your time if you're trying to court a woman who's not into you. I'm going to disagree with him here because every friend group has the guy who, without a doubt, is going to take a shot with the hottest girl at the bar. Like he's saying, don't try to sell. Sometimes you get lucky. Should he take the shot? Probably not, statistically, but you encourage him to do it anyway. Because you and the boys like to see some action, and sometimes it works, but mostly the former. The siren at the bar who he's about to hit on, this chick is being surrounded by the stars, you know, all the dudes who spend four hours of their day lifting, and then the charismatics at the bar. She's like, all of her defenses are up, so if some anti-seducer comes in, he could come... He could break up the flow, and that's usually who the boy is that's going to go way out of his range. And then something magical happens. I'm saying sometimes people get lucky. Your boy hits on this girl, and then the next weekend, he brings home another dime, and then he's on a hot streak. It's like hooking up is the same thing as sports, upsets, build momentum. I swear to God, the girls could just smell your pheromones. He was with a hot girl recently. These situations, like where your ugly friend picks up someone who should have never looked at him. This is why men know miracles exist. This is why I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Hear that, Nietzsche? God is not dead. People like accredit divine intervention. You just got to zig when people zag. When they nag, you got to neg. <laughs> Final quote. 
what draws us more than anything is the feeling that someone has something we don't, a quality we desire. Yeah. When choosing a victim, make sure the customer has demand for what you're supplying. Let's go to chapter five, mixed signals. Robert is saying once you know you've got a girl on the hook, an effective strategy is to start mixing up the signals. Quote, once people are aware of your presence and perhaps vaguely intrigued, you need to stir their interest before it settles on someone else. What is obvious and striking may attract their attention at first, but that attention is often short-lived. In the long run, ambiguity is much more potent. Like, know when your girl hates you. <laughs> it's not that she's going to miss you all the time, but you get on people's nerves when you're around them too much. Is mixing signals is keeping a girl guessing. <laughs> like, this is straight-up psychopathy. He's going, have a split personality. What the heck? He told this long, drawn-out story about Napoleon and uh, Madame de Stal. Madame de Stal was this anti-Spanish war literature writer. The French were taking on the Spanish, so he tried to, like, woo this girl just to stop doing her work. And for weeks, they would go out on the lake together, and this other guy started taking her out instead. This other guy learns how to play the harp for her, and she completely falls head over heels. Uh, yeah, mix up those signals out there. Be unpredictable. Another good story he had in 1881 about Broadway actors. They were performing some operetta, and everyone wanted to hook up with the leading lady. One of the men everyone thought was gay on set in the 1880s, so, like, throw tomatoes at him in the street gay. And that was his cover. When he was alone backstage with the one girl, he was able to say, yeah, all them think I'm gay, and guess what? I'm an actor in real life, too. I'm actually straight. Watch, this guy was just bi, the first bi man in history. Yeah, like I said, acting gay can actually work, but usually not. Robert spent 10 pages to just drop a little symbolism on the end of this chapter. On stage, the curtain's heavy, deep red folds attract your eyes with the hypnotic surface, but what really fascinates and draws you in is what might be behind the curtain. The reversal for this is another super psychotic move. He's going, act unaware. <laughs> so, like, again, don't be yourself. Make a girl think that you're dumb and make her think that she has you figured out. This is a tip from me, not even a seduction style. Drink enough to incapacitate your brain. All the chicks <laughs> naturally flock to the nearest halfwit at the bar. You might not have some, like, dark secret or whatever Robert Greene is alluding to here. You always have the dump. And that is your bat signal. You know, you could, like, revive a relationship halfway through if you pretend to break up. with. That's why in the middle of every romantic comedy, there's the breakup. It heightens the buying temperature. And that's your bat signal, fellas. If your girl starts to get a little bit lippy, <laughs> the dump is right around the corner. And then he goes on, like, if you get really good at mixed signals, you could start creating love triangles. I'm thinking that's going to be a lesson for another day. Moving on, second to last one. This one is called The Bold Move. Maybe the most important, the kiss. The moment of rejection is one second, and like it only lasts as long as you are hard on yourself. Robert summarized it nicely. 
A moment has arrived. Your victim clearly desires you, but is not ready to admit it openly, let alone act on it. This is the time to throw aside chivalry, kindness, and coquetry to overwhelm with a bold move. Don't give the victim time to consider the consequences. Create conflict. Stir up tension so that the bold move comes as a great release. Even if the person is head over heels, he's saying make a bold move anyway. And you see the language, the great release. This is all about foreplay. <laughs> uh, chicks love it. And they want at least three months of foreplay. We're talking the bold move chapter as a man, you're basically always on the pers- I've never once had a girl kiss me first. Male, per- Actually, one time at a bar, a girl came up from behind me and said, you're cute. I didn't turn around at first because I was like, there must be a girl sitting next to me that some lesbian's hitting on. And then I turned around and said, are you talking to me? <laughs> High confidence. <laughs> you never get hit on as a guy. It fucking catches you off guard. He's obviously a good way to get a guy, a bold move as a girl. Like You don't have to ask him out, out on a date. Just fucking be in someone's field of vision. He was saying love is a series of building gestures. If you pull out a bold move early enough, you can skip the line. Like I said, chicks have like 10 boys that they're walking at a time like dogs. When you take her on a vacation or whatever, you get to the higher echelon of dating i'm not this rich like people love to talk about that's a rich person thing (laughs) the build-up is something that you could drag out for a long time take a chick on hikes (laughs) relationships start to fade at the three-month mark anyway if you pull a bold move on a girl when she's expecting it the climax isn't as hard and of course everybody thinks they want something simple they could follow and get fucked right know what i'm saying here But you got to shake it up and make the climax different than what people think it is. We're going to have these marriage books coming up in the future. The passion is never as hard as it is on day one. What brings people back to that uh, start of something new is nostalgia. So if you bold move too early on a chick, you're going to have nothing to reminisce about. (laughs) Like it's the second time you meet a girl and you tell her you love her and you want to take her to the moon. It's that what else are you going to say? Remember when you got out of the car and I shook your hands, (laughs) you got to let things, uh, ruminate whenever you think it's right time to plant one on your crush, like go for it. I'm not telling you to be a chicken, The point here is just to catch the defense off guard, which sounds rapey, so I'll double down. Robert said in this chapter, the rules of seduction are separate from those of real life. Yeah, because you'd be in jail if they weren't, Robert. (laughs) You're, like, planning a bold move as an attack. You have to ignore the Geneva Convention. Inject this girl with your prick without her consent. (laughs) Seduction is the slow manufactured consent of compliance literary jokes there's a positive side to this that uh seduction is different than real life is that you don't have to be yourself obviously i'm saying for the show you're going to get laid the most when you know who you are and amplify that to 120 percent he's going this is fun because (laughs) you can wear a mask 
the boldness is something to watch out for here because people often get labeled like a full of yourself if you're bold. Robert says, in truth, timid people are often self-absorbed, obsessed with the way people see them and not at all saintly. It's the timid people that aren't acting out because they care even more about what people think about them. He continues, humility may have its social uses, but it's deadly in seduction. You need to be able to play the humble saint at times to wear the mask, but in seduction, take it off. So it's even more of this psychotic stuff. Uh, be a two-faced. I want to enforce something like more self-empowering here. If you think someone at a party is silently judging you, fuck them. They're too insecure to take a shot and have a personality themselves. Like smash the beer on your head. Be a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, when you're actually trying to impress a woman. There's no polite humbleness. The guy who leaves the club in a Ferrari has a 10 with him because he's bold. The guy sleeping in the back alley is there because he's humble. He says if two people come together by mutual consent, that is not seduction. There is no reversal. <laughs> wow. So, like, if people just like each other and a relationship starts, yeah, that's a life. Seduction is about going out there and trying to get someone out of your league. Fellas, fail. Failing is good. If you ain't failing, you ain't seducing. Chapter 7, the final one. Beware the after effects. Heartbreak lasts twice as long as love. This guy, I forgot to mention the whole book. <laughs> He's a, a love relationship expert. He did all those like marriage counseling. So he's saying, you know, breaking up is hard to do. Best practice is to rip the band-aid straight off. Robert says, danger follows in the aftermath of a successful seduction. After emotions have reached a pitch, they often swing in the opposite direction toward lassitude, distrust, disappointment. Beware of the long, drawn-out goodbye. Insecure, the victim will cling and claw, and both sides will suffer. If you are to part... Make the sacrifices swift and sudden. If necessary, deliberately break the spell you have created. Whoa. That's all true. The first fact, your relationship has a shelf life. All of them do. You're going to need more bold moves and acts of love to extend that shelf life. Otherwise, it's just going to decay. You know, <laughs> I think, like, I could just be in a relationship forever, but... This is a female thing. They have that disappointment clock running. Well, I could have been with a guy who was a hedge fund millionaire by now and we're retiring. My ovaries are about to run out. I need to get married. It's like this anxiety clock that's just running. Men are just fucking chilling. So he's going, if you just keep a chick on the line, you got to cut her loose. It's like fucking fishing out here. This fish is slowly going to wither away and flounder if it's not progressing towards grandchildren. So <laughs> it's on you to have to um, cut it off or, you know, fucking submit to their will. Disappointment is a running clock. <laughs> Definitely females are on that shit more than men. Yo, I've heard females, they make spreadsheets about dudes. And when you talk to a female, they're always saying, well, this guy is a little bit better in these three. Like, they're ranking you like a fucking racehorse. <laughs> Very equal. Like, that shit ended in 12th grade as kids. I got in trouble because during March Madness, <laughs> shouldn't say this, the guys in high school created a bracket 
with all of the girls. <laughs> so it was a 1v1 every single day. And it was for that specific day who looked hotter. <laughs> and I didn't set up the bracket. So luckily I didn't am not culpable here. Wink wink. Um that shit ends when you're fucking 15 years old, but women that's their entire life. <laughs> Roberts telling us about some like shit you could try to still pull when you're a 40 year old (laughs) the fake breakup he's saying you know this is your bat signal baby he keeps talking about that shit robert says sometimes your effort to break off the relationship will inadvertently revive the spell for the other person causing him to cling to you tenaciously (laughs) yeah this is like my sitcom education as a child i watched tv all day Every single show has an episode where you want to break up with your girlfriend, but you're too chicken to do it, so you just start acting like a prick. <laughs> you know, you get disgusting. Robert is actually right here. There's some weird double reverse psychology where women now find you more attractive because you care less. <laughs> if you beat them harder, they want you even more. <laughs> Dude, like, if you act crass, I don't. I think this would work in real life. You show up to a hookup with a butthole full of dingleberries. I think that might be enough for disenchanting the spell, Robert. <laughs> the fake break, too. It's like, that'll piss some bitches off. They don't feel secure anymore. So you gotta feel these situations out one by one to give my final disclaimer. Got another history story here. Robert talked about Duke Ellington, the jazz composer. He perfected the fake break. He would tour the country, take women out to a fucking nice dinner, and come home to his hotel with a room full of flowers. And then he would play them his newest song that wasn't yet released. So Duke goes back on the road. He's, like, sending letters to the girls back in Cincinnati. And then they hear his new song on the radio. She tells all of her friends, fucking word spreads, but he's so big of a star that all those other chicks want to have sex with him too. I didn't know that Duke Ellington was one of the archetypes of ass out here. I got to start listening to more of him. I know, man. Some fun stories there of history. Robert is uh, summing up the Duke Ellington point. The lesson is simple. Keep the moments after the seduction simple and the separation the same key as before. Heightened, aesthetic, and pleasant. You know, don't let the music die. If you want to be with the girl, don't be doing all those magical mixed signal tricks. Keep the same rhythm going and be yourself. (laughs) Final quote from Robert. To keep a person enchanted... You will have to re-seduce them constantly. Do this right, and they will have the delighted feeling that they are constantly getting to know more about you, but never too much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for staying tuned for The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. It was a fun Valentine's edition. Going to double down when uh, March comes around. And next week... We have a very important edition that you're going to want to watch. It is a Patreon exclusive. Get subscribed. Going deeper into the allegorized cave. We have Confessions of an Economic Hitman. If you want to learn about corruption, this is your book. Ex-intelligence John Perkins does a tell-all on his time in the CIA. It's all about nation-building, buying out countries. He goes to South America, Indonesia, 
It's fucking wild, man. You're not going to believe some of the stories, some of the details and implications. Must see edition. I want you all to have a very naughty Valentine's Day out there. Hit up the Patreon. Hit up Harry Schwant. And uh, happy to be celebrating another year with you all. Special thanks to the patrons. See you all next week. My name is Nick Munez. Peace.